0: if you can make somebody else's job easier then that's that's just the best position to be in
1: What's up, people? You're listening to A Quick Read, an advertising podcast that talks book smarts and street smarts with the people who have been there, done that. Today's guest is creative director Jordan Aiken. He has worked with iconic agencies and has influenced trusted brands like Nationwide, Cadillac, and Sherwin-Williams. He helps us see things clearly as we discuss essays by Michael Beirut. You know what to do. Tune in and turn up. What's up, my man, Jordan, from way down south. How you doing, buddy? Yes, sir. I'm doing great, Brandon. It's so good to hear a voice that sounds a little closer to mine. You're down there (laughs) in in North Carolina, right? Yeah,
0: down here in Raleigh, North Carolina.
1: Oh, man. What a wonderful conversation we're going to have today. So welcome, everybody, to the south. I'm here in northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. And uh, and and we got North Carolina. We're representing today. This is gonna be beautiful. Um, yeah. So we we first met at a, was it it was the virtual or was it both uh, the one show uh, creative directors retreat. Were you at the one in um, before the pandemic?
0: I didn't get to do that one. Okay. I, I did the virtual one, which was I think February of this year.
1: Yeah. So yeah, and know yeah. we connected there and kind of hopped online, and and I saw you were from uh you had some time in kentucky you went to the university of kentucky right
0: Uh, i did two universities there i started out at uk uh started out in architecture but i finished up my degree over at murray state university which is about as southwest as you can get in that state yeah
1: well so are you are you a part of the what they call the big blue nation do you get crazy for the whole basketball thing or is that not quite your bag
0: that's how i grew up uh, for sure we we would um (laughs) They would actually cut church uh, off a little early on Sundays if there was a UK game playing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so. no,
1: there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Their priorities <laughs> yeah. are straight. There's basketball and then there's God. Yeah, so, you got it. That's funny. Uh, well, man, I'm so stoked to have you on the show and really interested the book you picked, man. You you, you went with uh, Now You See It and other essays by Michael... Beirut, which actually he he came out of the University of Cincinnati, right here where 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 we keep this show from. Nice. Yeah. So um, why'd you like this book?
0: Well, I I grew up following these these designers. So if you can, you know, step back twenty some odd years and just remember what it was like to go through college with with whatever you were you were studying, I was reading about these names. And I read about Michael and Paula Scher and Chip Kidd and Milton Glazer and, and just these names that when, when they get into your head when you're younger, they're kind of there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the older I got, I just continued to kind of follow what, what Michael was doing. And, and this book came out. And I said, okay, I'll pick this guy up. I think it was actually recommended in the back of a communication arts uh, in, in one, of their, one of their annuals. So I said, all right, I'll give this a go. And I absolutely loved it because not only because of the subject material and everything he had to say, you know, the meat of it, but I loved how it was structured. And this is a book uh, that is a collection of essays. Um, he says on design, but it, for me, it's half half on design and half about how to just be a good person in, yeah. in the industry, or at least that's what I got from it. And each of these little um, little articles, they they they're from. They're either a page long or they're two pages, three or four, and that's about it. There's no lengthy pieces in here, and and for me, that was uh, that was super ideal. So I could just sit down, take in one article, you know, 20 minutes later, and and, and I felt like I I got something good out of it, and I could put it down, and uh, go about my day, and just keep coming back to it. So it was uh, a very digestible way to introduce. Uh, some of these topics that he was uh, that he was covering, so I, I absolutely loved it, and I recommend it to anybody I talk to. And my copy of the book, I actually mail out to anybody that uh, uh, is even interested in, in design or or art direction, and yeah. I'll say I have this book for you. Uh, let <laughs> me send it to you. So it's currently out somewhere in That's North awesome, Carolina. Man.
1: I-, I love that. <laughs> I-, I love that you. You share that you know what what what's been meaningful to you, I think that's so important and uh, that's mm-hmm. a that's a great man. Look at you already dropping the, your own little nuggets on in the show already um, trying to <laughs> so before we jump into some of those big ideas let's let's hmm. let's find out a little backstory from this country boy who's who's uh, spent some time learning how to do things in in the heart of Kentucky. but how do you get from the hills of the bluegrass state to some of literally the most iconic agencies in the world. I'm pretty sure looking at your LinkedIn, like if there's an iconic agency, you've worked there. So how did that work? How does, how does one do that? How does one get to places like Ogilvy and Martin and BBDO and McKinney? Like you're just, you're jamming. So did you, did you decide, you know, the heck with architecture, I'm going to be in advertising.
0: Well, I, I have the perfect answer for this. I remember exactly when it happened, but I'm going to back up a second. I, I started out in architecture, which, by the way, for, for, for people listening, I think you had, it was episode eight or, or somewhere around there, you had a guy named Chris. Yeah. I started with a Z. With a Z. Yeah, oh, Chris Hey, There you go. And I think that dude started out in architecture as well, and, and you mentioned, like, yeah, a lot of us have done that. And I said, hey. I've done that, so uh, you're right. A lot of people have gone through architecture school. Yeah, and but then uh, in- C-
1: uh, copywriter Nate Dye, I think uh, he started off in, in engineering, and then he was like, I don't know about this. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. A lot of us find our way here just because we found something that we didn't didn't want to do. Um, but I went through that at the University of Kentucky and decided that it 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 wasn't for me. I wanted to do something different, and I was minoring in uh, art art and design. And those classes I was, I, was, I was into. They were 8 a.m. classes, and yeah. um, I, I got into it, and I was, I was ready to go. I really enjoyed those classes. And I wound up transferring to Murray State University because they had a, a very robust and, and excellent design program there. And the people that I, uh, that I was able to go through the program with and the professors there were just um, top-notch, and I couldn't say enough good things about them. But it got to the point where it's senior year, last semester. I'm about about to graduate, and I know that my book isn't as good as it could be. Mm -hmm. I was very aware that this is good, but I I feel like I can do better, and I need to put more time into that. And I didn't want to go out into the industry and try to get a job with that book that I had at the time. So um, Jelly Helm put together a book called 60. And it was a very small book. I don't know, six by whatever. It was a small but but pretty beefy book. And mm-hmm. it was just, uh, it was called 60 and it was to promote um, uh, the Virginia Commonwealth University's uh, Ad Center, which was a graduate program in advertising. And I got a hold of that book and I just, I, I wore the pages out. Um, I wore the binding out just looking at it so much and, and sharing it with other people. And and Xeroxing pages out of it and being like, have you guys seen this? Mm. And uh, I decided to to try to get into it, and I was fortunate enough to get accepted. And so I went right out of um, uh, Murray State University into VCU's uh, Ad Center program back in, feels like 100 years ago, uh, 2004, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I moved out out of Kentucky is that I decided I needed to uh, I needed to flex in a different space and, and learn more, and so I did two years at the VCU Ad Center in Richmond, Virginia.
1: Man, that's that's great self awareness that you you know you were able to sort of self critique and, and push yourself further. So from there, you just I mean was it a, was it an e- was it an easy road or, or did you you know you, you had some luck along the way or how did you kind of you know find your way at these these different agencies and then find yourself ultimately where you're at now.
0: A tremendous amount of luck, but but even more uh, good timing. Uh-huh. I think it all comes down to just those things that you just cannot control. In fact, if you have the best the best book in the industry, but the shop you want to get into isn't looking or isn't hiring, then you're you're a little out of luck. You just have to wait for those um, yeah. opportunities to open up. But I went from VCU right up to Boston, Massachusetts, and worked at um, a shop that no longer exists. It was called Modernista. And that was just trial by fire in the best way. I I really enjoyed my my years there. I think I did about three years at Modernista. And 2008 hit, and the the market just went bananas, and we all had to weather that together. And uh, that opened some doors to bounce around a little bit, so I was able to bounce around at different shops and eventually landed at the shop that I had been... um, courting for a long time. Yeah. And that was McKinney down here in, in North Carolina. And the timing worked out. They had an opening and I was available and we gave it a shot. And here we are nine years later. Yeah,
1: man, that's so, awesome. You know, along the way, this brings us to the first idea in, in the book, you know, there's these essays, one of this, this first idea I want to talk about, because it, it is about, you know, sort of your job and, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing and where you sit in an agency. But, you know, one of the, the first ideas that pops out is this idea that don't worry about your job description. Just do what needs to be done. Has that been true in your experience? You know, we just talked about your journey a little bit throughout agencies. Talk a, talk a little bit about that idea.
0: Sure. It, it's become more true uh, the older I get, uh, I suppose. The, the more that um, uh, you, you kind of climb that ladder and, and you're privy to seeing how things are structured, um, that that's where that comes from. I, I've heard uh, a handful of times, "Oh, you'd make a good blank. Like you'd make a good account person or a production coordinator or a strategist." And for me, that's that is high praise um, because that means that you're you're looking at the forest and you're not just focusing on this one description that you were hired for. Mm-hmm. Now you need to be able. To, you you have to do that. Those are the table stakes. If you come in as a as a writer, you, you have to be able to nail that um, uh, over and over and be a, a reliable copywriter. And then uh, once you have that down pat, then you can kind of uh, learn how other uh, departments are structured and the roles of those departments. And if you can make somebody else's job easier, then that's, that's just the best position to be in. So if you can think like a production coordinator, if you can think like a strategist, while doing your job uh, beautifully then you're you're in you're in tremendous shape
1: Wow yeah that's great great feedback so let's let's talk a little bit about that you know you, you've been at places you've been able to you know mentor and manage a lot of people do you have any um mm-hmm. do you have any memories or thoughts or scenarios of of people or experienced people who really just got hung up on that job description they just really you know, they, they felt that that was just so important, that sort of cloud or that sort of hierarchical recognition. Um, and do you think that, that that mindset holds people back?
0: Wow, that's a good question. It, it's, it's a bit of a flip than, than what I was anticipating. Uh, the answer is no, I actually don't have any recollection of somebody that's leaned into their title uh, in such a capacity that it limits them from doing something else. Instead, uh, I've seen the, the, the good part, the, the, the positive side of things. And I've seen when uh, people have um, a principal in their title or, or whatever, they're, they're super high up in the, in the chain, and I see them working on, on banner ads, or I see them working through uh, production logistics with somebody else, or working with um, a strategist on a brief. And you can see them having a positive influence uh, throughout all the different departments of a firm, or shop, or an agency, or, or wherever you're at. So when when you see those people at work, that's a very inspiring picture to take in.
1: Yeah, I think that when you're first starting out, we all want and yearn for that validation, and so you mm-hmm. know a job title and a description can really feel feel nice. Um, mm-hmm. But I think as you talked about, as you as you able to climb the ladder, and or you're you're in that position where you have ownership. Um, the table really flips, right? Because, you know, ownership is about grunt work. (laughs) Ownership Mm -hmm. is about weathering the storm. It's about, you know, you you not only own the profit, but you also own the loss. And there's a lot of, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things in there. And so, you know, you have to be willing to become the least of these, I think. And I think Mm -hmm. that's just a, you know, it's an interesting journey, right? We come into these, these industries or any industry with this, sort of big idea of what it is and everyone's seen, you know, uh, Mad Men and they think it's this mm-hmm. or they think it's that. And um, and then really you you realize that it's just a lot of like grinding it out, <laughs> pitching ideas, yeah. getting shot down, pitching more ideas, getting shot down, writing lines, <laughs> writing more yeah. lines. And, um, and so I think that, you know, what I like about this big idea is, you know, and, and I've found this to be true in my life and, and be interested to hear what you think, but whenever I really want something in life, I never get it. (laughs) It's like you try so hard and you've got this vision and you're just like, oh my God, I want to become this. And it like Mm -hmm. never works out. But the things that you just do because you're passionate or you love them, or it's just like, it brings you joy or it comes naturally. Those Mm -hmm. seems, those seem to get rewarded. I think those things seem to be the things that get traction. Have you experienced anything similar to that?
0: I think any well, you tidied it up quite nicely earlier on by saying uh, when everybody, when somebody is invested in the work, you know, they own the uh, they own the losses, but they also own the 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 fruits of that collective labor. So I think for for me anyway, it's when somebody can feel that ownership. That's when you get a lot of positivity out of a project or out of a scenario or 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 whatever. And the best way to feel like you have more ownership is to. see how many uh elements of a project you're you're able to influence in a positive manner uh not a negative manner you you can overstep and there are swim lanes and and that kind of thing but um the uh, you're you're more able to own uh or feel that uh positivity once you have some uh degree of ownership
1: yeah now just to give our listeners some sense of scale how how big is your creative apartment how big is your shop that you kind of get to be a part of having influence over
0: Oh, man. So McKinney is... uh, I have to do some fast math. McKinney is uh, three different locations. They're headquartered in Durham, North Carolina. Then we have a Los Angeles location, as well as a New York shop. And the creative department, I think, is in the uh, 30s or 40s. Okay. So
1: knowing that you have a sphere of influence there... What do you do? What are some of the practices as a creative director that you do to try to foster that sense of, hey, we just need to get the job done and try to foster, you know, a spirit or an attitude that, um, you know, again, embraces people's experience, you know, of course, you know, respect titles and and that Mm -hmm. experience and their contribution, but ultimately creates an environment where everyone's willing to, to pitch in. So what are some of those practices that
0: you do? For me, it's it's uh, constant check-ins. Constant's the wrong word. It, it, it's not constant, but um, leaning in with your with your your teammates, and if you're fortunate enough to be working with somebody that you directly manage on a project, uh, for me, I have these check-ins with them every two weeks, and it's not a check-in to review work uh, or do anything like that. It's it's just to say, how are you doing? How are things going? Let's step back for a minute and talk about your goals, um, are there any projects that, that you've, you've hit some pain points on that you wanna just vent about and just create a safe space for, um, for these people to, to speak their mind and speak their truth. So when you're able to create that environment where people feel safe and, and they feel like they're, they're part of a, uh, a greater whole than, than, than the, the work and just get so much better and people can speak freely and it dissolves any degree of fear that may be associated with um, uh, a big client or uh, you know a, a tight deadline or anything like that. So, just uh, a good degree of communication goes goes a long way. Yeah,
1: you know that brings us to the second point. You know, talking about communication, it's important for us to communicate with our teams and really work that out together but that also translates over to that client side, right? And it's about mm-hmm. you know, working alongside them. You know, the, another idea in the book that, that we pull out here is this idea that um, Beirut never liked the phrase, quote, educating the client. Almost always it's the designers who need the education, not the client. Um, so you know, talk about that idea in the book and, and kind of what he was mm-hmm. hinting at there and what you took away from that, why you, you wanted to discuss this as one of the big ideas.
0: I will verbatim talk about the idea in the book, um, <laughs> and I, I I said earlier on that book is floating around North Carolina somewhere right now. But the reason I can pull it verbatim is because uh, I I take in books a little differently. I I haven't seen this done before. I I really enjoyed doing it, but um, when I'm reading a book, sometimes it's it's difficult for me to truly internalize what I'm taking in, and so that actually makes it difficult to get through uh, a book and by the end of it, be able to, you know, recall this lesson, this lesson and what you learned from it, what were the main themes and, and, and subject material. So if I see something, I'm going to uh, make a little note in the book. And then at the end, when I'm finished, I'll spend some time photocopying those little notes and I'll mm. snip them out and put them in uh, these sketchbooks that I've been keeping for, you know, 20 some odd years. These little moleskins, man, they just, they, they <laughs> travel with me everywhere. But because I did that years ago, uh, I, can, I can pull out this phrase right here. So again, this comes directly from uh, Michael here, but he says, I tell students that they're spending time and money in design school, acquiring an abnormal sensitivity to design that most regular people should not be expected to share. Yet various groups of these, quote, regular people are usually the ones who initiate our work, fund it and approve it, and ultimately are the audiences for it. So the biggest challenge we face is figuring out how to meet people on their terms and not ours. And then he goes on to pull that quote that you just said, I never talk about educating the client. He says, I hate that phrase. It's almost always the designers who need the education, not the client or the audience. So the reason I pulled that is because where's that? Where's that note here? He says, yet designers and clients both tend to recede into their areas of expertise, and it takes work for us to wrench each other out of it. And mm-hmm. I've, I've just found that to be true in my, in my heart, in myself, and I can see it in others uh, sometimes. If you have a, a brilliant designer in front of you, uh, and, you're, and, and they're presenting work, and I'm just not getting it, you can start to read that frustration on their face, and you can start to understand that they're saying, no, this is correct, uh, from a design standpoint, and from where i 'm sitting, I have to be able to articulate what changes uh, or what edits could be put in place to kind of steer this ship towards a direction that 's going to be a more uh viable option for a client and you have to you have to get on the same page so that you can both you know get to the end in a positive manner so for me if from where i 'm sitting, if they the client isn 't getting something uh Sometimes I would say, well, then that's their fault and we need to educate them. And more often than not, that's just not the case. It's, that's an incorrect way to think, Jordan. You need to be able to uh, work with them and, and just understand and over-communicate so that you guys can uh, get on the same page. So what I'll do is I'll start um, almost from the beginning. You have to identify where the conflict is coming in. So again, this isn't an education thing for them. It's more of an education thing for me. Let's start at step one. You know, uh, Do we agree on this? And it's we get heads nodding, and they'll say yes. All right, the second phase here, uh, this happened A, B, and C. Do we agree with this? And they'll say yeah. You go to step three, and they're like, that's where the tension is. Mm-hmm. Then you've identified where you uh, can both add clarity and adjust changes if you need to. But uh, coming at it from a place of we're in this together, and and let's figure this out together, seems like a much more fruitful place than saying... You guys don't get it. Let me, you know, the superior person here educate you. That's just a really toxic uh frame of mind to to be in.
1: Yeah, for sure. Do you find that disconnect uh it might be the result of like a strategy gap or or a strong brief where, you know, maybe the design is strong work, mm-hmm. right? Maybe the design holds up, the composition, mm-hmm. the color, the type, all that stuff is like, "Hey, this is this is it. This is the solution." but then maybe there's a gap where the visual and or, you know, design itself is not fully connected to strategy, i.e. business strategy in a way that is completely in alignment. Do you think that's, is that often the gap or is there other gaps that, that maybe I'm not seeing?
0: (laughs) It's, um, that's a good question. It's often something that that you just haven't thought of before. And it, Mm. It can come down to a gap in the strategy or, or one of those earlier steps in the process. But um, when you're when you're in the weeds uh, with a project and everybody's kind of nodding along, sometimes uh, you can just grow some, grow a little blind or have some blinders onto some issues that uh, could pop up. So the way that we treat internal reviews, uh, I really enjoy here here at this shop because the point of an internal review. Is to in fact poke holes in a problem, or problem poke holes in a project, and uh, identify uh, this could be an issue down the road, or we know that uh, the the landscape is is charged in this capacity, and this could be this could create some tension. Uh, Let's start to think what is it that could uh, become an anchor to this project. So, internal reviews are kind of less to talk about the specifics of the work. And in fact, they're they're meant more to look into the future once we get in front of a client or a group of clients and say, what is it here that could strengthen the work that we haven't thought of yet?
1: Man, I like that. That's a great build. I'm going to steal that. I think <laughs> you know. I think the. Um, I think so often internal reviews, you know, can turn into a little bit of show and tell, and mm-hmm. if, if not treated carefully, can turn into a little bit of, you know, let me put my thumbprint on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, you know, hey, you know, you did a great job, but you know, I'd like to have my thumbprint on that too, you know, you know, as a creative mm-hmm. director, an art director. And um and I think viewing it the way you're talking about as, okay, does the work hold up? Can it hold up to critique? Can we poke holes in it? Does it still float? Um, and if it's strong work that holds up, then mm-hmm. you know, maybe the wisest thing is that as a creative director, maybe you don't need your thumbprint on it. Maybe Maybe yeah. the best decision is to leave your hands off of it because the work's holding up really strong, you know?
0: Absolutely. That's a really good point to make, too, is that you do not you do not have to affect the work uh, at every stage. Just like you don't have to have your voice in a room unless it's necessary to, to have your voice in the room or to have something to say, you also do not need to uh, change the work just to say that you've changed it or you've steered it in, in one particular direction or the other. So I'll have teams bring work to me, and if the work is solid, and everything, all these boxes are ticked, and and the design is beautiful, and it's it's on on brief, and and I can't think of anything that this uh, is lacking, and it feels like a slam dunk, then I'll be pretty quick to tell that to the teams. And mm. I've been blessed to, to work with some tremendous talent uh, uh, throughout throughout my career, to where I've I've gotten to do that quite a bit and say no, this this is. This is perfect. They're they're gonna love this. Let's uh, let's get it to. Can we get it to them now? Do we have to wait until the meeting? I'm I'm pretty excited about it. So yeah, being able to to step back again, forget about what your title is, and 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 just focus on is this uh, a good a good answer, a good solution to the ask, and then go from there. Yeah, you know
1: that that phrase he talked about, wrench it out together. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience with those client relationships, you know, the way you guys are structured. Do you have, um, you know, direct access to the client? Are you guys, you know, hanging out with them a lot? Are you really getting into it and understanding their business? I know different shops have different methodologies. Some really lean on those, you know, account people and they kind of, mm-hmm. you know, keep everybody at bay. And then other shops are, you know, they want as many touch points with a brand as possible. So they've got, you know, designers and copywriters and people that are really in there building real strong relationships. I'd love to hear your all's perspective and, and, you know, kind of your current practice, how, how close to the clients are you?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And my current shop, we're, we're very close to the clients. Uh, That's, I think that that may just be where hopefully that's, that's where the industry is, is moving towards collectively, but yeah, that you have to build those relationships because you have to build that trust and if you're just speaking with—we um, don't even like to call them clients. So w- when you're speaking with you know, this, this person, uh, John Smith or whatever, uh, they need to be able to trust you and that you're not just speaking to them about work all the time. It's uh, always beneficial to um, build a relationship outside of that working environment so that you can build that trust and, uh, and, and move forward from there. It hasn't always been like that at other shops. In fact, when I first got into the industry, um, for the first couple years, I think I, I never never met the clients, hmm. and I thought that's just how things were put together. This was the early aughts, so you know things were different back then. But uh, the way that that particular agency was structured, uh, we were we were doing the work and and passing that off to the creative directors, and and that team was the team that was taking the work directly to the clients and that's that's fine it worked out great at that time and and that structure wasn't had been in place for a while and and things were working well and those CDs had really built that relationship uh with the clients where there was a you know a tremendous amount of trust there and also I was a junior art director I you know maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I just wasn't ready to be uh in front of clients at that point in fact I'm sure that I wasn't ready to be in front of clients <laughs> yeah well and I think that to me
1: you know, transitions us to to the third big idea, right? You know, whether you're in front of a client or behind the scenes, um, this idea that if you're serious about getting the job done, don't bother unless you're willing to fully commit. Um, You know, that's a fully committing, I think to anything in life Mm -hmm. is is always Mm -hmm. hard, right? Because there's so many distractions, but in our work and our vocation, and when you think about this business, um, that can be really challenging, right? Like, you know, it's one of, several businesses that you know the the bulk of what we do is we just keep trying again right because we keep we get critiqued and and we revise and it's this sort of art form um mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know so how has that been true in your career this truth or this idea of full commitment have you seen that play out you know compare and contrast that in your in your early years maybe that junior art director versus mm-hmm. Now, you know, as a creative director, what does fully committing mean?
0: Fully committing actually means something quite different based on where you are in your career. Uh, work-life balance is super important. In fact, I'm, I'm going to, for the next five minutes, I'm, I'm going to speak delicately about this because some of the things could could be a little harsh on the ear when, when it first comes out. But for me, when I'm talking about, or the reason that I really enjoyed this little passage that Michael put in here. Um, In fact, I'm going to read this little quote here just so we can start on the same page collectively. He says, "Uh, I heard this back in design school and I still forget it every now and then. If you're going to make something big, make it really big. If you're going to make it simple, make it really simple or really small or really fancy. If you're going after a project, if you're trying to win a competition, if you're serious about getting the job done, then don't bother unless you're willing to fully commit. So... Hmm. That translates into uh, uh, time. I mean, that's just one of those things that you can't can't get around, that you have to put the time into something. You need to put in the extra hours, the extra love, the extra passion and and, and empathy in here. And um, I find it tough to be truly happy if I'm not fully committing to whatever project is in front of me because that project has my name on it. So when you're talking about building your personal brand, uh, if you want to be seen as a um, uh, a dedicated uh, individual or or somebody that that others can lean on to really uh, pull through uh, in any scenario, then that takes uh, it takes a lot of hours to get into it. However, there is a work life balance, and so what I what I'm not advocating is uh, diving into work uh, you know full on and then ignoring. Other things like self-care and friendships and uh, a social life and, and building relationships and family, that's that's um, that's very toxic. You, know, you don't want to get into that situation. But I do think if you are going to take something on, if you're if you're going to be serious about a particular project, then you do have to fully commit in whatever that capacity looks like for you. It's this, the idea of ticking a box, really really bothers me. If it, if it's I have this project, or I have this banner ad, for example. Uh, I'm just going to do it. It's done. I'm going to pass it off to whoever needs to look at it, and then I'm going to move on. Um, I just, it just, it, it rubs me the wrong way a, a little bit. I, I feel like I need to be confident that whatever it is that I have worked on uh, needs to not necessarily be the best work that I could do, but uh, absolutely needs to uh, be what I consider to be Good work, if that makes sense
1: yeah no and it's and it's tough, right, like that work life balance is yeah you know how do you go all in on something and give it your full passion and and really want to try to create something that is going to last and is going to mm-hmm. be exciting for people and is going to be inspiring for the client? Mm-hmm. How do you do that, but also you know, not go crazy. (laughs) How do you do that and, and, you know, still get good sleep? How do you do that and still, Mm -hmm. you know, um, make sure that, you know, years later your kids look back and, and they remember Mm -hmm. that, you know, you were, you were on the floor with them hanging out and, and wrestling and playing video games. Like that's, there's a lot to juggle, you know, and that's something that, you know, I think, um, and and if you don't have kids same thing i mean you know if it's mm-hmm. if it's you know whatever it is you're you're doing your you know your partner your um mm-hmm. your process or even just you know yourself you know that your your mm-hmm. own mental health um it can be a real challenge so you know do you have any any personal practices or tips that you do to try to like keep that in check or like do you have like a cadence mm-hmm. of uh you know self check-ins or do you have an accountability partner of sorts when it comes to that <laughs>
0: uh I do. The, the answer is, is just uh, an enormous amount of overcommunication. So I, I have one of well, just the absolute best wife in, in, in the world, and, and she is so understanding, and I, I, do, I do my best to communicate with her if I do need to lean into a project or if I do need to put in more time than I had than originally planned for. And I think the more you can communicate with your partner uh, and with your team uh, what's going on, so that their expectations are managed, then we'll all get through this together and it'll, be, it'll mm-hmm. be a positive experience. But you do have to talk to people. If you got to, again, if, if, you, if you have kids, you have, that's not an ignorable thing. You have to, you have to be a good father or, or a good mother and spend time with your family. And you need to communicate with your team. Uh, if you do need to put in the hours, say, listen, I, I have to do uh, ABC and uh, I can get back into this project at this hour. But I just want to communicate ahead of time so expectations are met.
1: Yeah. And I think the difference with, with our industry is, you know, let's say you and not to take away from something, you know, mechanical, but let's just say you're a, a CNC machine operator. Um, mm-hmm. like that machine has like <clears throat> a finite list of things that it can do. And when you're running your order, like you're designing a part um, that is finite. And you, you set it, you machine it, you tool it. And once you build it, it's sort of A produces B once it goes mm. through its process. And that's sort of like the end of it. And like there's rules and regulations around it. We we work in a world where the answer oftentimes is, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the, the answer is, is we got this big project to try to say, I don't know, win over the hearts and minds of... Um, you know, uh, the North of North Carolina water district or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like say, mm-hmm. we got to win over the hearts and minds of these people so that we can communicate that we're more equipped to build their website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know yet how we're going to okay. do that, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, that's, that's the challenge. Right. And I think that, you know, I love that you brought up your wife and, um, I think anyone's spouse or, or life partner, you know, understands you know what it's like to be connected mm-hmm. to the creative and advertising world because it's hard to turn it off. We you know we 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 view our work as part of our art and our passion, and so it's it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: Uh, he uh, he actually went on. He he went on to talk about that a little bit, and I, I thought about pulling it out, but uh, I'll, I'll save it for for those that are actually going to get in here and, and read the book, but. He, uh Michael went on to say the, the exact same thing. is like, uh, no, we don't know where these ideas come from. And that can be, if you really think about it for too long, that, that can be a crippling place to be in when you just don't know where, you're, where those ideas are going to come from. And that's why we, we set up these practices or have a regimen for how to get into ideation. Uh, when you have a trusted uh, partner that you're working with um, in the office or, or firm or wherever you're at, uh, make sure that you're able to mine those territories uh, and get into a place where you can concept and, uh, and bear fruit from that experience. But yeah, he goes on to say like this, look, we, we don't know. And we don't really have metrics that we can tie to, uh, you know, did did this idea actually uh, increase the bottom line for, for Q4? It's a, it's, it's a tough thing to, to nail down.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the Sort of that working partner, I know when we first talked, I believe you you have a partner that you've worked with for years and years and years, and we were mm-hmm. we were exploring maybe doing a doing a show where we could have three people and kind of bring out mm-hmm. that partnership i'm not currently set up to to tape that type of show, but mm-hmm. i'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I, I I could definitely see the camaraderie and passion you had when you were talking about that. so t- tell me about that journey. how has it been and to have a, a creative partner um, in a way that you know inspired you and in, in, just the way you talked about that relationship it seemed um, exciting. So I'd love to hear about you know what that's been like.
0: Sure, you know people people either click or they don't click, and uh, sometimes it, it can be scary when you're first getting into the industry, especially if you don't come into a shop or a firm as a team and you, and you go in on your own. It's like who am I going to be paired with? Uh, are we going to have you know similar uh, ways of approaching a topic? Do we have the same references? Uh, that kind of stuff or if we have different references, can we find common ground and get to concepts pretty quickly? Um, and man, over the pandemic, people were doing this, you know, over Zoom. They didn't have the luxury of having coffee together. They had to, you know, one's in California and one's in Utah, and they got to figure it out over, uh, you know, a screen. That's always going to be rough. But I've, I've been very fortunate to, to have a handful of creative partners over the years that uh, things, things just really fell into place pretty quickly. So I've been working with um, David Sloan for for years now. Uh, and he's a creative director at McKinney, and we we had a lot of um, similarities. Like we 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 both grew up in the '80s, and we both enjoyed the same um, the same films and the same genres. <laughs> and anytime you can um, uh, get together with somebody like that, where the references can fly pretty quickly, and the person mm-hmm. gets those and they understand it, then you can much more rapidly get to some fruitful territory to concept in, uh, as opposed to like having to explain what this movie reference is and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which I, which I think
1: me and you both find that, uh, happening more commonly these days, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You, 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 reach out to the, to the, the fresh new kids and they're, they're looking at you with, you know, just deer in the headlights. Like, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mentioned, uh, I, I had a note to somebody about, a. There was a flare in somebody's background uh of their Zoom and it was uh super uh JJ Abrams looking thing and, and I dropped that name in there and they're like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what to do moving forward. Where do I start? <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. So you guys over the years have just sort of been able to craft this sort of, you know, I think, you know, what I've found with those, those partnerships, um, you started just that shared language. It, it just becomes almost, you know, you can c- complete each other's sentences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The, the shared, shared language. That's a good, that's a good phrase. I like that. Uh, again, it just, it's an, it, the more you can get on this same page with a creative partner, the, the more, uh, fruitful territory, uh, you, you can get into. So yeah, I mean, movie references are part of it, but, um, Actually, you know what? Movie references are a big part of it, and then it goes outside of. Uh, if I'll, do, I'll double down on that, and it goes outside of uh, uh, just partners that you're working with too. If you're trying to describe a movement to something, uh, we were working with um, uh, PSYOP, on a, a, a production company outside of New York, and we were talking about a particular movement that we wanted to see happen in this space. And we are having a little trouble uh, articulating it because it, it's, it was going to be live action, but it, it's tough to speak in that space. And uh, David uh, mentioned, uh, you know, in Star Wars, it's the trench run. And, and the guy, he's like, <laughs> I'm 100% on board. I totally know what you're talking about now. Let's go make it. And that's, yeah. that's all that had to happen. And it came from that shared language like you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's so important, you know, and it's, and again, too, that points back to, you know, when we were talking about with educating the client, like I've found that to be just as effective. Like I've, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of clients when trying to cast a, um, a big idea or bring context to, to something, you know, having those cultural references and finding those connection points is great. And sometimes you got to, you know, there has to be education, right? So sometimes like I've assigned clients like homework, like, Hey, go watch this Mm -hmm. film or go listen to this record. And, you know, after you listen to it, the next time we check in, like, let's talk about that. Cause I think there's a lot to learn there. And Mm -hmm. I know that, um, you know, our, uh, one of our creative directors, he's, you know, really good friend of mine. Um, he, he always says, you know, go do a study, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. that's something that I've, I really enjoyed and embraced, um, that exercise where he'll say, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to be working on this brand or whatever. And, and he'll tell the team, you know, Hey, everybody go do a study on X, right. Go do a study mm-hmm. on, on the civil rights movement or go do a study on, um, you know, whatever it might be, you know, uh, French noir. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is really important, right. Because then what, what, what's happening is everybody's going away, but they're coming back with that shared language, right. They're coming back with that vocabulary of, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and so mm-hmm. I think that's that can help, like you said, get to interesting work or at least cut through um, and get to strategic work based on you know a strong reference. So
0: Well you can also use that to prime an audience. and that the audience can be a group of clients. It can be a group of your teammates, your colleagues that you're working with. But um, if you can also just look at work or uh, cultural pieces that that fall into a category that you want to start to break into, then you can mm-hmm. prime an audience with um, showcasing how this work can come to life. That's been very helpful over the last decade when it comes to experiential work, because you know early on, you know Heineken was doing w- wonderful things in the experiential space, and uh, it was great to pull those case studies as reference to say uh, if we wanted to move outside of this traditional space and get into a territory uh, where you can catch people in an unexpected manner. Here is how that can. Um, how that can be received to an audience. So it's it's less education and it's more, uh, again, just priming the space. So that when you do present your idea, it's not oh that well that's isn't that impossible. It's like well no it's not because we have this um, this uh, groundwork that's been done before us.
1: Yeah. Well, and again, you know one, once you have those references, once you're able to you know dial in the strategy, then it's mm-hmm. about you know like we talked about fully committing, you know, Yep. And, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, clearly you've done that in your work, you know, looking at your portfolio now, you know, got some beautiful work and, um, man, it's just been so fun to talk to you and hear sort of your methodology and some of the things you've learned along the way. Uh, what, what's going on right now? What's the hot thing for you? What's the new thing? What are you pushing, in, promoting? What is, what's the thing you want the world to know about?
0: Well, man, there's 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 so much happening that it's 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 tough to really pinpoint one. Well, there are some things uh, on the horizon um, coming out before too long that we, you know, can't really bring up at this point. But it's it's a constant stream of work that's going on at the agency. So it, it's it's less about like um, what's happening right now because there's always something coming up on the horizon. And when you're juggling several different uh, client groups at one time it's that it's a lot of fun because you get to bounce around between you know uh, sports and and other clients and and um, get that differentiation not only in your book but also in your your expertise level and you're, you're kind of leveling up each time that you do one of these projects so yeah there's there's definitely a lot coming up so it sounds like uh post
1: pandemic things are heating up a little bit
0: Post pandemic, for sure, uh, McKinney really had a lot going on, uh, you know, during the pandemic as well. Yeah. And so we were we were fortunate enough to hit the the 2021 Ad Age A list uh, as a standout agency. Yeah, oh, man. That was that was a a big feather in, in that collective cap there. So there's awesome. there's there's been a lot happening, and, and it's just going to uh, continue to keep moving forward. That is that's so great to hear. Well, if people you know who
1: who've been listening in, you know, enjoy this conversation, they they want to reach out or connect with you, or maybe you got some young people ready to fully commit and uh, mm-hmm. they want to connect with you and and see you know if there's any you know openings or any opportunities at McKinney. What's the best way for people
0: to get a hold of you? For me, it's it's always going to be LinkedIn. Um, okay, uh, that's that's just the, the easiest route to go down and. Uh, LinkedIn has made it super easy to to connect. It didn't used to be like that on LinkedIn. You had to um, uh, there was a, a couple barriers to entry there. Yeah, but Now gateways. It's, yeah, a lot of gateways. But now it's much easier to just reach out and and go from cool. there. Or if uh, if you just want to go straight to the source, you can always go to JordanAiken dot uh, com and and uh, reach me. Uh, yeah, that and that's
1: way. that's for everybody listening. That's J O R D A N E A K I
0: N. It's it's uh yeah, it's it's a very German yeah. way to to get into it, but yeah, it's it's a- it's E a-, a K I N. Yeah. Well,
1: man, it's been a pleasure hanging out and chatting with you. It feels like home. I'm sure everybody listening <laughs> has has noticed that my southern draw has is escalated a little bit yeah. and come. You know, you 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 brought that out in me. You know, what I mean, I I was we got bourbon in our veins. You know, people don't understand how that works. The bourbon starts to bubble and heat up a little bit when you hear another southern accent.
0: Yeah, it, 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 you're absolutely right. It really does come out a, a little <laughs> heavier. <laughs>
1: um, well, man, it's been such a pleasure. I'm so glad we got to hang out and chat. Um, hopefully, we'll get to hang out again at either another conference yeah. or maybe um, you know just just meet up sometime. You know, not too far down the down the way. So maybe hit the Blue Ridge Parkway and uh, <laughs> you know hang out and, and talk shop and life and try to find some of that collective balance we were talking about.
0: Absolutely, I, I'm, I'm looking forward
1: to it. Awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and clearly, you know, hopefully you now you can see it. Uh, this was a, a great book to kind of talk about and even greater to hear about Jordan's experience. If you like what you have heard, as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And uh, we come, we come to you every other Tuesday, every two weeks. So uh, we'll see you in two. Cheers. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the conversation on Instagram at a quick read podcast. See you in two. A quick read is a leap group podcast.